As we uh, come in here this morning, uh, I'm fully aware that every single one of us, at least at some point in time in this week, has asked ourselves the question, am I measuring up? Uh, I know for some of you, you have had uh, band competitions where you've asked yourself that question. Some of you have had job evaluations. Some of you, maybe this is me, has tried to to build a shoe rack and thought, I definitely don't measure up in the area of being the dad that can do stuff around the house. It's really easy throughout our weeks to ask ourselves that question and then for that to turn into thinking that that is where our identity is rooted, is in whether or not we measure up. When we come to worship, we are being reminded that God doesn't look at us and say, do you measure up? God looks at us and he says, I've set my love upon you. And yeah, you're sinful and you're broken, but I have redeemed you in Jesus. And in Jesus, God gives us so many good gifts, himself and a new heavens and a new earth. Hear this good gift that our God gives us in Christ. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. If you have a copy of the scriptures, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 34. It's at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. It's also printed for you um, there in your, your bulletin uh, as well, and in and this is a continuation of, of worship as we come and worship our holy God uh, to receive his word, to hear his word, to hear what his word has to tell us about ourselves and about him and how we relate um, to God. And so this morning, we are going to take a look at Deuteronomy 34 and look at God's people and how they are on the precipice of going into the land that God has promised them. And throughout the, the beginning of this year, as we've been talking about our sermon series and thinking about three, four, five, you know, Dave's done that last couple of weeks, um, three loves, a four-part story, and five threads that run through there. There's a couple of threads this morning that we'll see that stick out a little bit more to us I want to draw our attention to you, and those two threads are is that God is building his church. He's always had a people. He's always been building his people, and that everything is moving toward Jesus. So we're going to read God's word together um, and then pray. And I'm actually going to do something a little bit different. This is the first time that we've done this here. I'm going to ask you guys, who am I standing um, as, we, as we read God's word? And, and really, we're sort of joining with a tradition of the, uh, of the church centuries past and even on in today and, and joining our voices and honoring the fact that we have a God who loves us and who wants to tell us something. He wants to tell us about his love for us in Jesus. So this is Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 8, God's word. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. 
And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Let's pray together. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us understand your word this morning. That we would see what your word has to say about us. What it has to say about our brokenness and our sinfulness. And what it has to say about you as a God who pursues and redeems us in Jesus. So we pray that you would make Jesus big to us this morning. That we would see what a gift Jesus is and what a gift all of life is because you are a good God who gives us good gifts. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, as we begin this morning, I kind of want to, I want to ask a question um, and you can feel free to raise your hand to this if you want to. And maybe we'll dig in a little bit deeper. But how many of you feel like you are in a season in your life that is, that, that is a season of like transition? Yeah. How so? What, what is that? What's that look like in, in your life? And yeah, like, t- talk back to me here. Yeah. New baby on the way. Yep. That's a big deal. Yep. Your life is going to change forever. No doubt. Forget sleep. You don't need it. Or at least that baby's going to think that. Yep. All right. What else? Yeah. In, in a, what? Say it again, Ricardo. Moving to a new country, yes. Okay, yeah, that's a pretty big transition, right? Yeah, moving from one country to, to, to another country. What else? Empty nesting, like kids are out of the house now, and we got to figure out what life looks like without children under our roof. Yeah, what else? Retirement. Yeah, what am I going to do with my life now that I'm not like pouring into my work anymore? Yeah. Keep it coming. That's fine. Child with cancer. That's horrible. I'm so sorry. Transition oftentimes feels like our whole life is like that too, doesn't it? I mean, everything from new jobs to moving to new places to, to getting unexpected horrific news about a loved one who's sick. Um, you can think of some like bigger picture things as well too. I mean, how many of us, I mean, if you even take a glimpse at the news cycle, like we're already getting ramped up for November in 2020, right? And what is that transition um, going, to, going to look like? I know in my own life, we are going through big transitions. We got a daughter who's going to be in middle school next year. We've got a, a car that's in the shop that we have no idea what's going to happen to it because Carrie was rear-ended last week. Like, the transition is all throughout our lives. And what, and, and what I want us to see is that God's people here in De- Deuteronomy 34 are an incredible moment of transition. 
their, their leader, Moses, is dying. And it means huge transition for the people of Israel. And just as everything else that we've just talked about, the people of Israel are feeling this too, is that in the midst of transition, inevitably, there's anxiety. There's nervousness. There's uncertainty. There's fear. And so what I want us to do this morning is take a look at this passage in Deuteronomy 34 and look at how God speaks to us in the midst of transition. And we're going to talk about two things. We're going to think about the history and we're going to think about the gifts. So the history and the gifts, that's our two points this morning. So let's begin with the history. Well, first, how did we get here to the end of the book of Deuteronomy? Like we were just in Numbers last week, so there's a pretty big gap that's in between those two. In the book of Numbers, we find God's people, they are complaining. They're saying, God, you're not on our side. And so a consequence of their sin, their sinful hearts, their complaining, is that they have to wander in the desert for 40 years. And so in Deuteronomy, we're sort of coming at the end of that 40 years of wandering. They are on the precipice of going into the promised land. And what happens through the whole of the book of Deuteronomy is that Moses reminds God's people of their history. And what he's doing is he's reminding them of the four-part story that we've been talking about. He looks at God's people and he says, creation Don't forget, God created everything. The whole earth belongs to him. And you are made in his image to bear his image in his world and to be fruitful and to multiply. And the whole earth belongs to our God. We were made to love God, love people, and love the place where he's putting us. The place you're about to go into. You were made to love that place. And the way that Moses does that is through talking about God's relationship with his people and through his word, through his law, that they are not to have any other gods before him, that that relationship is primary. And then Moses reminds them of the reality that they and we are rebellious people. One of the words that's used throughout the first five books of the Bible to describe God's people the Israelites is the word, is the word stiff-necked, like, you know, yeah, Im- immovable, stiff-necked, that we're rebellious, that, that we complain. The whole book of Numbers is uh, uh, often a lot about complaining. And Moses points out in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1, like right off the bat, Moses says, look, you're rebellious people, you're complaining people. We're rebellious, we're complaining people. We, we run from God. We want to go our own way. Then Moses reminds them of God's response to rebellion, redemption, that God pursues, that God delivers, that God redeems his people. And he reminds them of that through their story of being enslaved in Egypt as they were in slavery and in bondage in Egypt, and God delivered them. And then he reminds them, oh, your slavery and bondage in Egypt was actually an illustration of your own heart, that you are in slavery and bondage and in sin, and God is delivering you from that and redeeming you, that God is building his church. He is building his people through redemption. And then Moses also reminds them of restoration, that God is the God who restores that God is the one who is bringing them to this land. 
It is by his grace and for his glory. And the land that they're about to go into is called Canaan. And Canaan is actually a prototype of the reality that all of the earth belongs to God. And that God's desires for his people to go into this land so that the nations would know who God is and would turn to him and receive his grace and his redemption. That Israel was supposed to be a blessing to the nations. All of Deuteronomy reminds us of the four-part story that we've been talking about this whole year. And we come to the end of it here in chapter 34. And what God does is God reminds Moses of the same history that Moses just reminded God's people of. In verses 1 through 3, we see this picture of this relationship between God and Moses. And it's really close. God and Moses are super tight. Like they, they, they are really close. They're really intimate. And God takes Moses and he brings him up to the top of Mount Nebo, which is like the highest peak in the Pisgah Range uh, right around there. And then what God does is God shows Moses all of the land from that mountaintop. And God even gets specific. And he says, he says Moses, you see that over there? That's Dan's tribe. That's their land over there. And over there, that's Manasseh's. And right here, that's Naphtali's. And way over there, that's Ephraim. That's their land. Right here, right here, this is, this is Judah's land. Right here, he gets specific with Moses. And what God is doing is he is giving Moses a vision for his people. And he reminds Moses of what he was originally made for, to love God to love people, and to love the place where God is putting his people. And then in verse 4, God digs down even deeper into this history. Because he looks at Moses, he says, Moses, look, long before you, I made promises. I had a people that I was building. Do you remember Abraham? Do you remember Isaac? Do you remember Jacob? Do you remember the promises that I made to them? Do you remember that I told them that their offspring will come into this land? I always make good on my promises, is what God is communicating to Moses. Moses, he says, you're not going to get to go there. But I wanted to show it to you. I wanted you to see it. I wanted you to be able to put your eyes on it. My people are going to go there. You won't, but Joshua will lead my people there. And God's even bringing Moses into the intimacy of his own history. Because God is bringing Moses back even to his own sin and his own rebellion. The reality that our actions carry with them consequences, that they, they matter. In the book of Numbers, Dave mentioned last week that uh, as God's people were complaining, that, they, that there was a point in time where Moses raised his right hand at God. And we see God's response to that, to Moses raising his right hand, is that there's a consequence for that, Moses. You're now not going to get to go into the promised land. And we could read that and think, well, that's not a, that's not a big deal, right? He just raised his right hand at God. Um, but in the ancient Near East, that was a really big deal. Because raising your right hand at someone was akin to saying, God, you don't desire our good. God, you're not for us. You're actually against us. You don't love us. 
And so, God, I'm going to be against you. There are some scholars that even indicate that raising the right hand in the ancient Near East to someone was, was almost akin to a declaration of war. And so God is telling Moses and reminding Moses, like, actions have consequences. And the consequence of your actions, Moses, was that you're not going to see the fruition of everything that you have worked for with my people. But God's not being harsh here, y'all. He's not being harsh here at all. He's actually inviting Moses to see the bigger picture. To remember that God's response to rebellion is redemption. To delight that God is true to his word. That we have an alternative to sin. That we can turn from our sin and run to God who is gracious and merciful. God's love for Moses did not mean that his actions didn't carry consequences with them. And the same thing is true for us as well too. But what it did mean is that it, is that, is, is that it was an opportunity for Moses to turn to God. An opportunity to turn to God. To see that God does not stop loving us and pursuing us in our rebellion. But that he actually pursues us by showing us our rebellion. He actually pursues us by letting us experience the consequences of our rebellion. So that we would see his redemption to us and his love for us. God pursued Moses to the very end. And yeah, Moses did not get to experience the prototype of Canaan. But what Moses did receive was the full deal. You see, because Moses was going to die. And what that meant is that he was going to get to go and be with God. And then in verses 6 and 7, God buries Moses. In the ancient Near East, family was the ones who buried their loved ones. So God is saying about Moses, this is my family. God buries Moses. And no one knows where Moses is buried. Only God does. And we get in that. God is, God is saying, look, don't venerate Moses. See me through Moses. See what I am doing. And it even goes to extra lengths to talk about how Moses... Um, what Moses was like before he died, that he was 120 years old, and he still had gas left in the tank, didn't he? Like his eye was undimmed, and he had vigor, you know? But it was his time to go and to be with God, who's his friend, who's his family. And then in verse 8, we see how God's people respond to losing their leader. They weep and they mourn. They weep and they mourn the loss of this father in the faith of this friend, of this brother. This is a big transition for God's people. Big transition. That's the history, that's the story, that's the facts. Now let's spend a few moments looking at the gifts that God presents here in Deuteronomy 34. There's three things that I want us to see here, three gifts. First gift is this, people. Deuteronomy 34 shows us that people are a gift. That Moses was a gift to God's people. They mourned his loss. That God's people were a gift to Moses. And what we're supposed to see in and through that is that all of humanity is a gift. Every single human being that we come in contact with is a gift 
to be appreciated, to see that others bear God's image in his world. And what that means is that every single human being has inherent worth. Inherent dignity is uniquely made in God's image to be appreciated first and foremost. And then as we get to know people and we get to build relationships with people, we see the the depth of that gift move further and further and deeper and deeper as we get the opportunity to live life alongside of one another, to share in each other's sorrows, to share in each other's victories. What an incredible gift that God gives us. This can also be a hard thing too, can it? Living life alongside of others. Letting others in. We already talked about transition produces anxiety and fear. And it can be really fearful to let others in, can it? Like we can, we, we can really like wonder if I let somebody in and they know me, man, they might reject me. And if... If I let somebody in and they reject me, that's going to hurt really, really bad. And that's real and that's true. And every single one of us sitting in here, all of us have been hurt by other image bearers of God. And you know what else is true? Every single one of us have hurt other image bearers of God as well too. And I don't want to minimize that. But it can also be easy to let the wounds drive us to operate out of fear instead of seeing people as gift. And surely that's difficult in transition, right? I mean, surely that's a hard thing in the midst of transition. Because in the midst of transition, it's easy to see people as, as problems. It's easy to wonder, are they for me or are they against me? It's easy to begin thinking about people as, well, I've got to manage this over here, this person over here, and I've got to manage that person uh, over there in the midst of transitions can be a really difficult thing. I know I struggle with that. I struggle to see people first and foremost as gift. And oftentimes think about, well, this is just something that I've got to, I've got to manage. I've got to wonder, uh, are, are they with me or are they against me? Do they think the same the way that I do or, 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 or do they not? But don't forget, don't forget Deuteronomy 34. How many times did Moses wound God? How many times did Moses not love God? How many times did Moses disobey God and turn his back on God? Countless. Countless. And yet God sees Moses and his relationship with him as a gift. Moses is his friend. And that's hard to see in the midst of transition. God actually buries his own friend. People are a gift. But in the midst of transition, it can feel, which can feel like all the time, it's easy to look at people and ask, are they for me? Are they against me? What's going on here? Rather than seeing people as gift. God gives us to each other as incredible gifts to one another. And that doesn't minimize when we get hurt. But God actually, in the midst of hurt, works redemption, works forgiveness, brings Jesus into the middle of when we hurt each other and see forgiveness through his blood. So people are supposed to be gifts 
We're supposed to see people as a gift to help us see the bigger picture of what's going on in the midst of transition. That what's true is that we are not our own, but we belong to our Savior Jesus, both body and soul, and we have hope in Him. People are a gift. The second gift that I want us to see might be one that might take you a little bit off guard. Um, But the second gift that we see in this passage is the gift of mourning. That mourning is a gift. God always bids us to lean into and to mourn the loss of the good gifts that he gives. He always bids us to bring those things to him. That those are opportunities to remember how much we need God and his grace. God's people took the time to mourn the loss of their friend. To weep over losing Moses. We should take time to mourn when loss comes our way. When hurt and pain comes our way, mourning is a gift that God gives us in this broken world that we might get the opportunity to see that he is redeeming and restoring everything in Jesus. I want to try and connect these ideas together of people being a gift and of of mourning being a gift Um, with this this illustration. A few weeks ago, uh, I was on my way back to the church out in Winterville on Sunday afternoon. And uh, one of my children wants to come with me every single time that I go back out in the church, Luke. He wants to come and he wants to ride with me. And so we were riding in the car and he was in the back seat and I was driving and everything. We were on Regency, driving down Regency. And Luke asked me a question. He said, Dad, who who am I named after? Who am I named after? And Luke's name is Luke Claude Watson. And his middle name, Claude, is my grandfather's name, my papa's name. His name was Claude D. Watson. And so I was telling him, Luke, you're named after my papa, your great-grandpapa. His name was Claude D. Watson, Jr. And I was explaining to him that, man, man, my papa would have loved Luke. He would have loved spending time with him. And Luke would have, would have really loved spending time with my papa. And you guys have heard me talk about him before and know how close our relationship was. And, and, and then Luke sort of dug in a, a little bit deeper. And he said, Dad, how did um, how'd your papa die? And so I began to explain to him that, you know, as he came to the end of his life, his, his lungs were worn down and they basically had holes in them and he couldn't take in air anymore because everything was filling up with fluid so he couldn't breathe. Um, and ultimately that was, that was how he died. And Luke, wanting to know and sensing and everything, he, he dug in a little bit deeper. He said, but no, 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 Dad, how, how did he die? Were you, were you with him? Did you get to hold his hand? And, uh, and, I, and I said, yeah, yeah, I was. And I did get to hold his hand. And, and he was helping me process back through this loss that, that I'd had. And, and I explained to him that I did get to hold his hand. And I explained to him that, that the, you know, the way that it went down is that there, there began to be more and more time in between each breath until... He breathed, and then, and then he didn't breathe again. Um, and by this time, like, 
you know, uh, the emotions have come through and everything, and and I and I am re-mourning the loss of my grandfather and everything. And Luke's response is he unbuckled his his seatbelt and he got up and he came, he walked behind me and he put his arms around me and he said, "I love you, Dad." And in that moment, I thought, what a picture of God's grace to us. What a picture. He, did, he knew there wasn't anything that could fix that. He knew that he couldn't do anything about that, but he knew that he wanted me to know that he loved me and that he was with me. And that is exactly what God does with us in the midst of our mourning. That's exactly what God does and gives to us with people as gifts to help us walk through those things. And the beauty of that story is, is that three days later, I meet with a men's group on Wednesday mornings right down the road here at Blackbeard Coffee. And I got to share that story with those guys who have been walking along life with me and helping me with parenting and helping me with hardship and transition and all of those things. God gives us mourning as a gift. He gives us people as a gift to walk with us in those things to point us to the one true gift that those men point out to me on Wednesday morning, that my son points out to me, and that many of you point out to me many, many times. The one true gift that we see in Deuteronomy 34 is God himself. That's what they were doing. That's what Luke was doing, is he was showing me Jesus. That's what those men do on Wednesday morning. That's what God's people here in Deuteronomy 34 are doing with one another. God is the gift in the midst of transition, in the midst of loss, in the midst of mourning. God gifts us people. He gifts us mourning to lead us to himself. That was the whole purpose of Moses' life. The whole purpose of Moses' life was to lead God's people to God. To see God's presence with them. That he cared about them. That he was redeeming them and forgiving them of their sin. To remind them that they bear his image in his world. To be fruitful and to multiply. To remind them that, that rebellion matters. That mourning exists because of sin. But it should always bring us back to where we were always meant to be. With God. And even in the midst of God's people losing their leader, their friend, Moses, God reminds them who their true leader really is. God himself is the one who will carry his people on. In transition, it is so tempting to operate out of fear. It's so tempting to operate out of, out of anxiety in our own hearts. And what God says to us in the midst of that is, fear not, I'm with you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Moses' death meant huge change for God's people. It was an opportunity for God's people to run to him and to see his grace and redemption and restoration again and again. God loves his people. God loved Moses. Moses was his friend. God loves us. God actually loves us so much that he didn't even spare his only son. And yeah, Moses' death changed everything for God's people. But there was a death that happened a thousand plus years later that would change all of history. And that was the death of God's one and only son who is given to us as a gift for the forgiveness of our sins. God is the greatest gift that we could ever have and ever receive. 
God actually gave himself to die for our rebellion so that we would know his grace and we would know his love and we would know that we have life in Jesus, that we are delivered from the bondage of our sin, that we are free to give ourselves to God and to live in light of that reality, to put our lives in Jesus' hands. And Jesus shapes how we see people. Jesus shapes how you and I see each other. Jesus actually works it into our hearts to look at one another and to first and foremost say, that's someone who bears God's image in his world. That's a gift. To look at one another and to say, you know what, you're with me in this. You're with me in this. Whatever it is that we're going through, Jesus shapes us in that to find hope in him in the midst of transition and mourning and loss so that we can fix our eyes on him and see that what he is ultimately doing is he is bringing us home. He is bringing us home. And let me say it actually better than that. He is bringing home to us because there is a day when Jesus will bring heaven to earth and we will see him face to face. And we will see that his blood has covered all of our sin. And he brings us into his kingdom. And there will be a day where Jesus will take us and he'll say, you see all that out there? All that is mine. And you know what that means? All that is yours. All of creation. And he does that by ridding and ripping sin out by the roots. And his word even tells us that, that he wipes every tear away from our eyes. That mourning is no more. And what Jesus ultimately does is he, he changes our mourning and he redeems it. And he wipes the tears away from our eyes. And he brings us into a new heavens and a new earth, which is fullness of joy. And his presence forevermore. Our God loves us. And he is a good gift giver. He has given us one another. And he's given us himself. That we might know Jesus and know life in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good to us. That you give us good gifts. That you've given us one another to live in this life alongside of one another, to live in the midst of brokenness alongside of one another, to mourn, to weep with one another, to remind each other in the midst of transition that, that, that it is an opportunity for us to see, God, that you are with us, to not operate out of fear, but to operate knowing that we can trust in you and that you are good and that you are ultimately in Jesus making all things new. We pray that as we walk out of these doors this afternoon, that we would see that Jesus' blood really does speak a better word than our sin. And that he will wipe every tear away from our eyes. And he will bring home to us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. But God does not want us to leave here without knowing that he does abide with us. That his presence is with us. And his presence with us came through the blood of Jesus. And so hear this and strive to live this week like you really, really believe it. The Lord will bless you and he will keep you. This week, his smile is upon you. Your God calls you his friend. And he loves you and he is gracious to you. 
And this week and this month and this year and in the age to come forever and ever and ever, God's presence is with us. And the blood of Jesus makes us whole. Go in that peace, beloved.